The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of hockey. I'm Carolyn. And I'm Marin. And this is Deep in the Heart of Hockey, a podcast about the Dallas Stars, fancy stats, and general shenanigans. Although this one is very stars heavy. Very stars heavy. There's some minor shenanigans. There's not that many shenanigans in the NHL right now. Um, Really, there's little in the way of stats. Anyway, it is January 19th, and it's our 48th podcast. 48th podcast. Uh, And a happy birthday shout out to my best friend, Tess. Who is not listening to this. Because <laughs> she's probably not a Stars fan. She's not. She she got me into hockey in the first place, and she is a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Minus Patrick Sharp. Not Patrick Sharp. He's a Stars fan. He's a Stars player. Minus Patrick Kane is what I was trying to say. Yes. We, Voldemort. We, we enjoy one of those Patricks. We enjoy one of those Patricks, and the other one we want to punt into the sun. Uh, so we are on a kind of a tight deadline today because the Stars are playing the Islanders at six, which is, like, for us, is weird. Really weird. Like, I don't deal well with the different time zones at all. I mean, normally I'd be happy for a six o'clock start because that means I'm going to bed before midnight, but, like, tonight I'm kind of like, seriously, we've got a podcast to record, one of us has got to go pick up dinner, and I've got to recap this bitch. Yep. So I'm just kind of like, oh God. Come on. So, uh, Marin did a f- me a favor and did the 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 uh, topics for today. So I figure I will let her kick it off because she has lots of thoughts. I have lots of thoughts because, uh, like on on the stars, <laughs> I have an entire list on Twitter <laughs> dedicated to stars, and I've seen a lot of things coming from other stars fans directed towards Mike Heike and Mark Stepneski in particular, but like Sean Shapiro and a lot of the other guys too. About Jim Nill and Lindy Ruff. And those are numbers one and two in my outline. So the first would be Jim Nill. Um, and because uh, I feel like we should start broad and then get more specific. And Jim Nill is the broad. Jim Nill is the broad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not in the 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, just, who knows <laughs> about his private life. So now I'm picturing Jim Nill pinup. <laughs> oh, I, I, I started picturing him in like... A 40s, 50s, like, you know, outfit with a hat. Like, right, yes. No, yeah, like, like yeah. the private, the private. Yeah, jeans, that's the exactly where I went with it, too. <laughs> exactly where I went with it, too. With the stockings with the line up the back of the leg. Yep, yeah, that's. <laughs> but also the mustache. But also the mustache. Yeah, this is getting weird. Uh, so we apologize for that, probably. <laughs> you will never unsee. <laughs> you will never, I will never unsee it either. Um, so my first question is, is Jim Nill the hero we need, or was getting Sagan a fluke? And I know what my answer probably is, but I also, and because I know that he's not working in a vacuum. Right. You know, and he's still got the rest of the fucking NHL to contend with. But at the same time, like, Sagan seems to be the pinnacle that he's reached with the stars so far, and then there's Jamie Alexiak and Laurie Korpakoski, and... The, the blue line that we have this season. So, so here's my feeling. What are your it. thoughts? Sagan was very clearly not just a fluke. He made several good trades, um, including getting Jason Spezza for Alex Chason, basically. Um, and, and he's made a lot of good trades. Um, Brendan Dillon for Jason Demers was another one of his mm-hmm. that worked out really well right. for us. Mm-hmm. What I think is going on is that as time go- has gone on, A, so when he came with us, it was his first time being a GM GM. Because sure. before he'd been an assistant. Uh-huh. So there was a learning curve, right, for the other GMs and to... And the head of scouting. Right. 
Uh, so there was a, definitely a learning curve for the other GMs to kind of understand his process and where he's coming from and things like that. And so I think, like, they're kind of caught up to how, like, how he wheels and deals. Um, and then the other thing that's going on is that I think he's just a little bit nervous, right? Like, so we've had, up until this point, we I, I think we've really seen some very steady progression. And everything he's done has worked, for the most part. And now you're getting to the point where he's really got to start making some tough decisions. And I don't think he's making them. Or no. he's comfortable yeah. making them. It doesn't seem like he is. And so I think one thing, you know, so I think we, I think we will be okay. I don't think this particular season is good, but I also don't think we should fire him over it. Um. No. I do think it is time to kind of put his feet to the fire about the whole carrying eight defensemen thing. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that we're seeing, I think, with Jim Neal that's been really paying off is our drafting, I feel like, has gotten better. I think so. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, You and I wrote about that not too long ago in a mailbag about how the drafting has gotten better. Absolutely. And so I think he's really done a lot for our scouting Mm -hmm. and the way we draft. And I think that's good. So what do you... um, One of the things that Mike Heike said this morning is that both uh, Vern Fiddler and Colton Sevier were willing to stick around, or not not necessarily just willing, but wanting to stick around Dallas, and were asking a reasonable amount for it. Um, which, together, would have been less than what we're paying Hoodler. And obviously, he didn't know that Hoodler was going to get some mysterious illness when he came in. But what what are your thoughts on Hoodler versus having both Colton Sevier and Vernon Fiddler here? I would probably still take Hoodler. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Um, even, now, even given our Hilarabad PK? Even given our Hilarabad PK. Uh, because no, Obviously not knowing that he would have had this mysterious illness. Now the other... Th- yeah, clearly. The thing about Hoodler is that his offensive upside is so good. And really the only thing Vern Fiddler and Sevier really do is take defensive zone draws and play Mm -hmm. in the defensive zone and the hallmark of a good offensive zone player is that you get the puck up ice which is something hoodler can do and i think you're start we're starting to finally see hoodler get into it yeah he's certainly been better in january laurie korpikoski is making the same amount of money as colton sevier yeah so i think if you're asking me okay well do we take Vern fiddler and sevier over hoodler no do we take? But do we take Sevier over Korpakowski? Sevier over Korpakowski or Fiddler over Korpakowski? Yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. And now I haven't done a whole lot of digging into the numbers, and because if we're talking about our terrible, terrible PK, I found some numbers on Corsica, which I have reason to believe have a little bit of flex in them. Like the time on ice doesn't seem to be correct. Are you doubting Manny's data? Not me, actually. Somebody else told me this, and I was like, okay, well, that might be right, but I also don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Manny, she doubts your data. I don't doubt your data. I think just sometimes things don't pull correctly. Um, but from the data that I did get from Corsica, assuming the time on ice was correct, Korpikoski is actually a fairly good PK player. Then why is our PK so bad? I don't think everybody's on the same page. And so I also pulled some data. So I know I've been... Mm. We have very much been, um, it's not the goalies, it's not the goalies. And then this week they were like, it's the goalies! It's definitely the goalies <laughs> this week. But also, um, 
So I pulled some PK data because it's really kind of fascinating. And I was like, okay, I'm going to prove it's not the fucking goalies with data because that's what I do. And um, for when you look at Antiniemi, there's a very, very clear correlation in both Corsi and save percentage and uh, like Corsi against and XG against. So XG is an expected goals measure. Mm -hmm. And basically it calculates the probability of a shot turning into a goal. So on both Corsi and on XG, if you're on the penalty kill, you want less against, right? Like just like you would have normally. So when that got high, his save percentage got low, like you would imagine, right? So then, so when Niemi's on the penalty kill, there's a strong correlation with his save percentage and how we're playing. Because clearly he's not influencing, you know, Corsi against. Sure. With Lettinen, however, anything goes! <laughs> he can have a 0% save percentage on one of our best nights on the PK. So he is the kind of, he his penalty kill save percentage might actually be an actual sticking point and something we can't blame the team on. Now, there are definitely so, games that we've let him down, but also, there are games where they we've played well, and he still let in some stupid has goals. Has any team ever considered having a specialty PK goalie? <laughs> you know, like, you just stick the PK goalie in during all PKs. I, I really wonder, like, if you could get away with that. Like, how how many times are you allowed to change goalies per team? Uh, I mean, game? I've only seen it done twice. Right. Like, in But, the, like, who's... I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. Is there a rule? I don't think should so. We, should, we should, like... I feel like the stars should test this theory. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like the stars are willing to test a lot of things. I don't see why we shouldn't <laughs> test that. Right. We'll be the experimental club. So, I don't know. I think... I think the, the main thing that I've been unhappy with Nil with... And this is, you know, last two seasons is the whole eight defensemen thing. Yeah, that's and that. Um, obviously, I'm not on the let's fire nil train, like right. or like I'm. And on on some levels, I don't even really blame him for some of the. How do you package a six foot seven defenseman who only plays well sometimes and generally only as a forward? <laughs> How, how how do you and he pen, he punches really well, but he is an abysmal defenseman. And the fact that he has like uh, blown not... smoke into people's faces on like I can score goals, and that makes people this season call him our best defenseman actually like makes me want to die inside. Well, so I know that you are objecting to the word abysmal. He's not good. Correct. He's still better than some other people's defensemen. Yes. Which is, gives me hope. And also, that some random fans are starting to call him our best defenseman also gives me hope. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully we can, like, blow smoke in a GM's face. Don Sweeney. Right. Not a, or even Would you Jim, like to trade Jim, Patrice Bergeron? Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's got a friend already on yeah, the team. Right? We're just looking out for him. I am totally. <laughs> but yeah, like, so I, I think, um... I think it would have to be part of a larger deal, though. Like, I feel like he would be the add-on type piece. The, the please take this from us piece? Right. He, he'd, but he'd be I, the Yerky Yokopaka of a... I am... I have been all season at the point that I'm just like, put him on waivers, see what happens, though. Right. No, I'm, I'm, see, I'm still there. I've been there. there. So it was... So all season. I was... So... 
Uh, I obviously, I have a couple friends, and I'm not going to name drop, but I have friends who work for NHL teams, and I, I heard, you know, I saw one of their teams was scouting a Dallas game. And, um, it, actually, it was it was a Texas Stars game. It was down when Nemeth was, had his conditioning stint. And it, it was, like, the third or fourth game they'd scouted of the, of the Texas Stars. And, you know, because people are paying attention to that now because it's trade deadline season. And I was like, you're going to take my Nemeth away. Because I'm, you know, I'm still very much on a Nemeth supporter train. And they were like, please, maybe if he was on waivers. Maybe. <laughs> and then it's, so like, that's yeah. kind of what it is. It's like both Alexiak and Nemeth are in this like weird limbo spot where no one really thinks they're any good because we don't play them. And, but when we play them, we lose games because they're not good. Uh, they're... Okay, Nemeth is better than than uh, Alexiak, yeah. and Alexiak has been okay as well for a third pairing guy. But it's not collectively our defense has not been good. No, and that's the problem is that like if we get one pair going, we're also two not, other pairs not so good. We're not really able to address those problems when we have so much chaff in the in the defensive line. Well, there's that, and then the, also chemistry is important. And if you're just rotating guys, the, that bottom, f- you know, two pairs every single night, you're screwed. You're screwing stuff up. I feel like they should have just bitten the bullet and paid for Jason Demers' chemistry with Jordy Ben. I wouldn't have objected to that. But the other thing is that, like, and again, this is where Nil is coming from, is, like, I he believes in the youth that we've got in the system, and Demers is a right-handed defenseman, and then you get... Klingberg, obviously, he's stick sticking around. But Stephen Johns and Julius Honka are both right handies. And assuming Klingberg and Honka end up being the one and two, you're not going to pay four point five million for a th- third pair defenseman. True. Even a right hander, even one that's really good. Yeah. So Jason Demers deserved a second pairing slot, but we couldn't. Prob- we probably wouldn't be able to give him one pass this year. So he just put him on here. We could, but, he, but he's he was. We could have gone. I, I don't know. think we could have. We could have, but we totally could. There, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that we probably should have shelled out for Goligoski. Yeah, there is. There, because we, because Lindell. I mean, I Lindell, Lindell. God damn it! I, you know, I've spoken about it at length, and and there's a lot of other people. Uh, uh, Bob Sturm, who does the. Um, the pre-games and stuff like that agrees. Like, you, we're not convinced. I'm not convinced by Lindell. And no, no, no. And no. I will say, and I didn't... I don't think anybody is. I didn't look at the New York game, which I'm just assuming is a clusterfuck all over the place. But the the Sabres game, which we lost badly, and the game before that, which we won or lost. Either way, we played Okay. <laughs> It was like, no, wasn't that the moral victory against Minnesota? Yes, that's the one it was. Because <laughs> in my recap, not my recap, in my tweets for Tuesday night, I said Saturday was a moral victory, Tuesday was a moral loss. <laughs> I that was a good line. I, was, I, I was actually really, pr- I like patted myself on the back for that bullshit. I was like, that's great. Because <laughs> it was. You do not let anyone score six goals on you and then still fucking win. <laughs> right? Nope. <laughs> exactly. So, so for both of those games, for both of those losses, Lindell and Klingberg were very good. Lindell was just that much lower than Klingberg, though. It was like it was like one of those things where it was like, obviously, kind of Klingberg was carrying the pair. 
Which you expect a little bit, but also, like, it was annoying. Like, there was a definite gap. There's a definite gap. Well, there's also, I mean, like, and I don't, I haven't done a ton of observation in this because I haven't really been able to watch as many games this year as I have in the past. But the games that I do watch, Lindell's zone exits are a nightmare. Yep. Oh, yeah, no, totally. This has been a point of contention for me since he started getting regular top pairing minutes. So, you've got you've got to be better about that. <laughs> like, all he's doing is getting it out of the zone and then turning it over immediately because that's how he exits. Mm-hmm. Just chipping it out into the neutral zone. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't do anybody any good. I mean, it does you, like, five seconds of good. Yep. All you, all you get a chance to do is reset yourself. You exactly. don't even get a chance to do a change in that. Exactly. This is my point of contention as well. And I, I'm so... Uh, I'm excited to watch this game because I, I do want to see that happen. And what Lindell does well is he does... He actually has a very, very high... What um, is considered a breakup percentage when other people are trying to... And it, this is on a small sample set from um, Corey Schneider's data. But when others are trying to enter the zone... He's very, very good at holding the blue line. So he does some of those defensive things that coaches really like, but his transition game isn't where we need him to be for the guy who supports Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. Mm-hmm. And that's my problem. No, my problem too. Um, all right, well, and I will, I will ask you question number two so you can give us your answer. Should Ruff be in the hot seat? I honestly, I want to be, I want to unequivocally say no, but I have some problems. I have, um, I have some questions about his, some of his matches, uh, matching, like his roster pairings. I have a question, questions about why he keeps scratching Adam Crackle. Oh, yes. I have questions about... Today they're scratching Brett Ritchie for Lori Korpikoski. I don't understand. It, it's... I don't either. I don't either at this I, point. Like... He's not, I mean, he's a good PK player, but he's not a good enough PK player. No. To justify this. No, because our PK hasn't been good enough, and he's played every single fucking game. Yeah. So, the fact that, the fact that Laurie Karpikowski has played every single game, uh, with, with possession as bad as his is, and with the way our PK has been rolling, I do not understand. I, like, I have questions. So, as much as I want to be, say, unequivocally, no, this season is not his fault, for these roster reasons that Nil has put together, for like the reasons of the horrific in, like injuries and IR and illnesses and whatever that was going on in the beginning of this, for the fact that we've clearly been cursed by God, like <laughs> that's not his fault, you know. Like, and I understand well, that he might have desecrated a temple, but we he don't might know. have desecrated a temple or made some sort of crossroads deal with a demon or like who the fuck knows. But I mean. Something's going on. I mean, something's going on. And I know that you cannot be, this is exactly why I keep playing Laurie Kroposkowski for these very reasons right here. So I can tell you, and then you can tell every other like coach in the league. You know, I know that he's not going to be 100% upfront with all of us. And so a lot of it is just me, like, guessing what his thought process is. Yeah. But at the same time, like... You can look at the way Korpakowski has been playing and the way that these other people, Brett, uh, Adam Cracknell, Brett Ritchie, like these these other people who have been playing better than Lori Korpakowski and yet are getting scratched on the reg while Lori Korpakowski is eating up valuable fourth line minutes and PK time. And I just, I just want, I want, I want those questions answered. I also want the question of like, 
why are our special teams not better? Why have they not been better that the one, entire time he's been here? That's where my real frustration is. Is like, our special teams have not been good since it's, before he was even hired. Yes, and you would think that he would be able to, at some point, address that problem if he didn't create it. But he hasn't, and it's actually gotten worse this year. Mm-hmm. And again, we lost key PK players, but... That also doesn't explain why our power play isn't very good. No, because that's the PK, not the power play. <laughs> we have the same people on our power play. Right. And and here's my thing. Like, maybe he's not a great special teams coach. In fact, he's probably not. Mm. Let's just, like, throw that uh, out. I mean, I think that's obvious at I this think point. it's pretty obvious that yeah. he's not the guy to be handling special teams. But you've also, I believe, it's got Frazier, who's handling special teams for us as the assistant coach. Uh-huh. That's his job. That's his sole purpose. So, like, if somebody needs to be held accountable to the fact that our special teams still suck and have been for years while he has done them, handled them, it's that guy. Yeah, but it's so like, or who like, makes that personnel decision? Is that a Jim Nill thing, or is that a, is that, like, does Ruff like, hire his own assistant coaches? I feel like he Ruff had a hand in hiring him, but I don't know how much of a hand either one of them has in firing. I would assume Nil has the final say on all hires and fires, because that's what a man Yeah, I just does. don't know how the NHL's, like, power structure works. And I assume it's different on every team, too. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure. So, um, whoever is in charge of that, that needs to change, because our special teams are abysmal. And it can... And I'm using that word and I don't feel bad about it. No, and that's a correct usage of that word in this case. Like, I'm not even going to... And you can look at actually, like... It was interesting because I just read an article um, on my site, obviously, about the Tampa Bay special team. And they brought in um, Todd Richards to fix their power play. Like, that's all he does is he works on them with their power play. And... They have gone, they went from, I think they were in kind of in where we are now, like 20th-ish mm-hmm. last year, to like third. Oh my god. All because they brought in a different coach to help them work on their power play, and that's what's keeping the Lightning in the playoff race. They're not scoring at five on five. All they're doing is scoring on the power play. Can you imagine, like even just right now, the team playing the way they are, getting those weird... Sometimes our penalty kill is awful, but then having a good power play, like how much difference that would make to us? Well, it would have made a shit ton of difference that time against Philadelphia. Right? So, yeah, like if if Ruff isn't going to be the one to take charge of special teams and fix it, then he needs to hire somebody who will, because who we have right now is not doing it. No, not at all. And that's where I'm frustrated. Yeah. Uh... So I covered all of my points. Oh my there. gosh, you did cover all of your points. I, I really did. She has like like an entire paragraph of points, ca- of, uh, not even just of points, but of like caps lock points. Oh, about Adam Cracknell. <laughs> I like seriously, I am really mad about Adam Cracknell. Like probably more than his own mother is. Like I am <laughs> livid about Adam Cracknell. <laughs> like I don't really have a. I have good reason to be this mad, but like I'm just so mad about it. <laughs> like. Damn you, why are you not playing him? Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely... And I think it gets to a point, though, like, Curtis McKenzie has also been playing pretty well this year, and he's been a recent, like, a a frequent scratch, but I don't... 
I'm not as worried about him as I am about like Cracknell getting scratched these days. Like I'm like I I trust Cracknell to Crack- do a good well, job. Well, and Cracknell's be- um, like a better possession driver than McKenzie. I think they are very similar, but I I just I don't know. I have a I have a bugaboo about Cracknell. I just uh, I've been impressed with him since camp. Yep, and I just I, I he's just better than. Yep. He's better than he's being treated right now. Yep. I agree. I agree. <sighs> well, because, you know, and going back to the Hoodler thing, actually, the thing it would be, it would be, would be Fiddler and uh, Sevier, not against um, Hoodler, but Korpikoski and Cracknell. Because Cracknell was signed on a two-way deal. I don't think they ever expected to have him up in the NHL as much as they've had him Yeah. Because... Well, and the reason I brought up Hoodler is solely because of, like, the fact that both of their salaries make up Hoodler's. Oh, yeah. And I I totally get that. But Hoodler's also on a very good deal for what he is. True. And, like, when he was signed, everybody was like, that's a great deal. Because it is. It's just he hasn't played A enough to really get to the point where he for can sure, produce for sure. regularly. And who was really expecting that rando illness? No, that was... We're just all glad we're not zombies. Mm-hmm. Do you have... So, our third oh. and final topic is the all-star... All-star game. game. So, because the NHL hates fun, not only did they bar us from having any sort of John Scott-type scenario again, they uh, also are... Doing away with the breakaway challenge, which has been a perennial favorite. We so they last year they got rid of the draft because apparently the players hated it and they hate fun too. And this year they're getting away with the breakaway challenge. But as Marin is about to inform us, because I don't know what's going on here, they are replacing it. So I actually had a really hard time reading these rules earlier when I was trying to read them at work. So hopefully reading them out loud to you will help. It, it is a new thing called the Honda NHL four-line challenge. And there's a d- helpful diagram that I will show you after I read you the rules. This event ev- involves four shooters from each team. Each shooter will shoot from one of four shooting positions, near the blue line, center line, far blue line, and far goal line. The first shooter from each team takes two shots from the near blue line in an attempt to score goals in either the upper left or upper right corner of the net. Successful shots score one point for their team. The second shooter from each team takes two shots from center ice in an attempt to score two goals in one of the four corners of the net. Successful shots in the lower corner score one point and successful shots in the upper corner score three points for their team. The third shooter from each team takes two shots from the far blue line in an attempt to score a goal in one of the four corners of the net or the five hole. Successful shots in the lower corners or five hole score one point, and successful shots in the upper corners score five points for their team. The fourth shooter from each team takes two shots from the far goal line in an attempt to score a goal in the five hole. Successful shots score ten points for their team. Captains can substitute the fourth shooter with a goalie. A successful shot by a goalie is awarded 20 points for their team. <laughs> in addition, the first all-star to score two goals in the five-hole from the far goal line will win the new 2017 Honda CRV. 
I mean, that sounds like it could be fun, but it also sounds like the accuracy challenge. It's it's basically just the accuracy challenge from different areas of the of the ice. And my problem, my, the thing about the breakaway challenge that was always really fun is it was kind of a little bit of a longer event. Like everybody, like, and they got to be silly. Yeah, that and that's the thing. This does not seem to me like it is going to lend itself to any silliness. This is going to be a serious, like, accuracy challenge. Yeah, and like. They're going to be trying to make these goals. And I'm not saying they weren't trying when they were doing the the breakaway challenge, but, like, you got the guys using props, you got the Alexander Ovechkin wearing, like, the whatever that outfit was, the Superman outfit that he wore that one time. You've got P.K. Subban in a... The Yager. Yes! I mean, Brent Burns had this Wookiee hat! Yes! So, like, you get a lot of funnier stuff in the breakaway challenge that it doesn't sound like this challenge really lends itself to. Mm-mm. And, sorry, I do understand that a little bit better. It was like all of the words were just swimming together. I was getting tired just reading the rules to this guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of rules for an all-star game. Like, that's the thing. Like, so when people were complaining about Taves being not nominated during a really bad season Whatever. for him, like, and other people were, like, rushing to his defense, like, he's contributes more than just offense, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And that's good, but this is the all-star game. Yeah. Like, no one should play defense. No. <laughs> like, no one wants to see defense at the no. all-star game. No, no, no. <laughs> like, there are people more deserving on his own damn team than yeah. Jonathan like, Davis is. freaking Panarin is not going, and Panarin, I think, is leading the team in points. Yeah. And so, anyway, it was just, like, one of those things where it's like, um, okay... Way to make this even less fun. So, the second thing you wanted to talk about with the All-Star Game, I feel like we're going to have a little bit of a disagreement on this issue based on your comment earlier. I'm actually really mad that Jamie Benn is not going because I this is my one opportunity to own a purple jersey. <laughs> and I can't own it because I don't want to buy it for anybody else. Not even a PK Subban one? I mean, I love P.K. Subban, but, like, those are expensive jerseys. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I have to... it. I really do love P.K. Subban, but when would I ever wear it? I would really want a jersey. Like, I think I might try... If they have purple jerseys. If they have a purple jersey. If they have purple jerseys, I would buy a P.K. Subban purple jersey in a hot second. But, like, when would I ever wear a big P.K. Subban purple jersey? Right. I'm not wearing that to a game in Dallas. Where I would be able to wear a Jamie Benn jersey. And as much as I love singing... I don't love him as much as I love P.K. Subban, who I don't love as much as I love <laughs> Jamie Benn. See, I thought you were going to call the jerseys ugly. Which well, they are kind of ugly still. I don't think they're ugly. I actually quite like them. What I will say is they're they're surprisingly restrained. Well, they also, the, the I mean, star I was, thing they've got going on really harkens back to the old Dallas Stars jerseys, too. Well, and I, but I like, I like that. I think I like, I don't. They're not as bad as last year's, but I also really hated the gold color that last year's had going on with it. Yeah. Well, see, I was just mm. kind of surprised they weren't doing, like, I don't know, I guess because the gold color of last year and then, like, that, like, monster truck jersey oh, the year Jesus. before. The mountain, like, sponsored by Mountain Dew. Yeah. I was totally expecting a third, like, super neon jersey. Yeah. And then we get these, and I'm like, maybe I'm just, like, pleasantly surprised and, like, enjoy them, like, in, in context <laughs> yeah, instead yeah. of like for the aesthetics that are the jersey itself but I definitely I think they're I really just, nice. the minute I saw the minute I saw the purple jersey I was just absolutely livid that I didn't have a reason to buy it 
Like maybe somebody will drop out and Jamie Ben will get in. He doesn't deserve it this year. <laughs> and Jonathan Taves doesn't deserve it. Jamie Ben certainly doesn't. Jamie Ben is doing better than Jonathan Taves. So. Well, that's true. <laughs> he deserves it a little more than Taves. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I don't anyway, think- I'd rather I'd rather Jamie Ben take a long weekend and take a nap. Yes, possibly multiple naps. All right, we're going to move on to reader questions because we don't have a whole lot of time before the game starts. This is going to be a short podcast, guys. Sorry. Not sorry. You probably like short podcasts by this point. Um, so do you want me to ask or you want to ask? I'll ask the first okay. one. Larry Joe, Sharp is Mr. February. Does that mean he's gone by trade deadline? Hearing Chicago rumors. I don't... God. So I was writing an article about the trade deadline recently and basically about how there's no movement. And the biggest thing that's contributing to no movement is that there are so many teams that could maybe make the playoffs. We've got like four surefire people who are not making the playoffs total. Mm-hmm. Got the Coyotes, and we got Colorado, and then you got the Islanders, and you got uh, the, the Devils. Like, those are the only four teams that are not making the playoffs. So then you've got guys Poor like... Taylor Hall. Like us, who are... Not good, but certainly not out of contention. If we get, you know, four or five wins under our belt in a row, we're right back in it. And that's a big if, but it's enough, like, with there's enough games left that that's very possible. And a, hockey is such a weird sport. Again, it's very possible. Other teams have done it. The fucking Islanders did it. Yeah. Like, so... The Wild did it last year. <laughs> right. Uh, the Flyers. Although, we'd have to trade for a goalie like Devin Dubnik, so... Yeah. That's probably well, not happening. That's probably not happening. They went on a big streak, but the point is really that, like, we're not in a position to sell yet. No. And we're not, no one's given up on the season. And so, Sharp is a pretty big, ideally a pretty big part of our scoring. Um, I believe he's back up on the top line these days, now Mm -hmm. that he's better. And, you know, trading a first line winger is a big deal. So, would he go to Chicago? Yeah, if Chicago's gonna pay us a billion dollars for him, basically. I mean, if they want to give us Scott Darling and a couple of other things, yeah, I'll give them Patrick Sharp. But, right, like, but it would have to be, it would have to be disproportionately in our favor for us to give up one of the best scorers we had last year. Scott Darling would be disproportionately in our favor. I don't know about that. He's Uh, still a backup goalie. He has posted really good numbers this year, but in average, he's eh. And I mean, I don't get me wrong. I like Scott Darling a lot. But he's less likely to help get us into the playoffs than Patrick Sharp. <laughs> the way Patrick Sharp's been playing this season? I don't know. Patrick Sharp still only has like 20 games. I know, but I'm just saying. He hasn't really come back yet. Um... Well, he's done well recently, so maybe he's on the up. I think he and Hoodler are both on their upswings right now. Um, but Sharp to Chicago, I mean, it could happen. I just, I think the Stars would have to lose a lot more before we sell off key pieces. I'm going to ask you this question because I have no idea. I mean, I don't have an opinion about this. So I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. Shelby, shenanigans category. Do you think the Hawks wait till postseason to do cap magicianary? Darling being UFA would look good for Vegas. No. Um, I think the Hawks will wait till the offseason to do most of their cap maneuvering. That's what they always do. First and foremost, the cap for next year hasn't been set yet. 
So Bowman likes to have a very good direction on where he's actually going to have to land before he does anything. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, in the postseason, you can carry more cap than necessary. Yep. You just have to pay it back. And so, again, he's going to want to know what his postseason looks like before he does anything in the offseason. So you won't see the Hawks do a whole lot until the offseason. But, yeah, probably leading up to the draft and, and you know, a little bit before July 1st, you'll see them do the same kind of things they've been doing every, every year. Um, offload somebody. Um, Panarin just got re-signed. So, you know... Don't think they want to trade him, but I can see them doing it. Or I can see them trading Anisimov, who has been really good for them and finally been that second line center they've needed. Well, they're going to have to because... They have to do something. Yeah, they've got all those contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, what I could see them doing is maybe trading Brian Campbell, who signed a very short deal with them for a lot less money than he would have gotten for Florida because Florida tried to re-sign him because he was Aaronette Blad's like partner. And he just hasn't been working out for them mm-hmm. at all. Like, they just haven't they been scratching him? Yeah, and um, his contract is very reasonable. And the one thing people are looking for right now is a lot of people want defense. And he is a very solid veteran, left-handed defenseman who could really fill some stopgap on blue line. Mm-hmm. So maybe like Montreal or somebody like that will oh, look at him. But I, so I could definitely see that happening. And it kind of sucks because the reason he signed in Chicago is because, like, Chicago is his house, like, his home. That's, like, where he lives, like, when he can't, like, during the offseason and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, he was like, I'll take a deal just to live here. Ooh. That was a poor choice, sir. Yeah. Poor choice. I feel bad. I feel really bad. I feel really bad for him and I feel really bad for the Panthers, too, because, like, I know that if he was on the Panthers, he and Ekblad would probably still be doing the same good things they were doing last year. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So I'm going to ask you this question because A, it was asked by your roommate, and B, you have, uh, you've gotten to see the Texas Stars more recently than me too. We were just there last night. Um, so Mary asks, what are y'all's feels on various baby rookies who weren't expected to be up much this season until an injury necessitated? Uh, so we were, we were walking through the Cedar, uh, HEB Center now, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they have this wall of um, Texas Stars graduates, basically. It's like players that had been on the Texas Stars that are now in the Dallas Stars. And J- Jamie Ben and Jordy Ben hilariously were both there, even though Jamie Ben really only played for the postseason down there. But um, Devin Shore was on there, which what that he was the one we were really like oh, Devin Shore. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're both really happy for Devin Shore and the fact that he's been up this whole season, the fact that he's played every game this season, and the fact that he actually does seem to be on a good swing right now and mm-hmm. figuring his way out around the NHL. So, uh, my feels on various baby rookies that weren't expected to be up much is pretty good. Pretty good. Especially when the ones that are actually doing good things. Mm-hmm. Like Devin Shore. Yeah, I think... Um I think it's still pretty clear that Devin Shore is a rookie. Like, yeah. I think that's yeah. still very clear. But I think also, like, I've been... There have been moments when I've been, like, really, really impressed with his game. I think he's got... I think he's uh, very smart. I think he thinks the game well. And I think... I mean, his hands are great. 
I think there's just some, like, experiential things that he really needs to learn. Oh, sure. Like, when to get into shot lanes, mm-hmm. when to take off, what's the best way to handle certain mm-hmm. situations. And I think we're, like, I mean, I posted these charts a while ago, and they were just the 5-on-5 the five five XG, um, rolling five game I actually averages. used them in, uh... Six easy tweets. So I explained to DVD readers what XG meant. There you go. And Devin Shore started really, really badly. And so every time you see people quote Devin Shore's Corsi numbers or anything like that, he doesn't look good. And it's because he was so bad at the beginning of the season that his slope upward, which is very positive right now, isn't enough yet to get him over that hump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, the trend is but fantastic. He's, yeah, he's trending well. He's trending well. Yeah, so, and um, he's scoring and doing the right kind of things you want from somebody on the fourth line, as far as that's concerned. Like, he's not trying to be too fancy. He's definitely just like, all right, we're the fourth line, we're going to get it into their zone, and we are going to just hammer it into the net. And he does it, and it works, <laughs> and I like it. <laughs> yep. On the road, anyway. Not so much anywhere else. No. Uh, you can ask me the first question, and then I will ask you the okay, second question. Okay, sounds good. Is it actually possible, or sorry, Andrew asks, is it actually possible for Dallas to improve their defense via trade, or is it literally no one, or is literally no one available? I feel like no one is available, but it seems like our needs are on the left, and everybody is crazy about right-handed defensemen. Um, Could Brian Campbell work in Dallas? I would fucking love Brian Campbell in Dallas. Scott Darling, Brian Campbell for Patrick Sharp. Fucking done. And Jamie Alexiak. Jamie Alexiak! people for you. There you go. Give you some size on that blue line there. Fun will and fucking love it. Um, no, like, I, I'm a huge, I guess, I am a big Brian Campbell fan. Uh, is literally no one available? No. There's actually, I think there's a decent, I think you'll start to see things move as you get to closer to the end of February. Mm-hmm. It's just that the, the standings are so wide open right now. And that's basically putting everybody so what you're there's definitely there's like two kinds of people available at the trade deadline so there's the high-end buys which you're seeing um with all the rumors around landeskog duchene um the really good people right on bad teams um that snort was for landeskog well they both have but they both have a lot of time left on their contracts and they're both high dollar contracts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so those, but those are guys that teams would be investing in, right? Mm-hmm. They would expect them to produce over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. But the trade deadline is usually mostly for rentals. Right. Those are the guys on UF, going UFA after the end of the year. And that's what you see mostly traded. At right. The, the Landis Cogs are traded on the offseason. Right. Exactly. What do you know what your cap space needs to be? Mm-hmm. So that's the trade market that's basically null and void right now. So, like, Martin Hansel on the Coyotes, they're going to be looking to offload him, probably, because they're not in the middle of any sort of contract discussion with him. And he's a center, and he's got pretty good numbers, and he's one of the better players on the god-awful Coyotes right now. So he'll probably end up going, but we have no idea who the takers are because the standings aren't set. Mm. So that's where... So there's going to be defensemen available. We just don't know which ones and who's selling and who's buying right now. Can we go back to the All-Star game a minute? Mm Mm-hmm. Mike Smith going to the All-Star game for the Coyotes. 
Mike Smith has been one of the best players on the Coyotes. How is that possible? They are very bad. <laughs> I mean, like, OEL is really that bad right now? OEL is having probably the worst season he's had in wow. a really long time. Yeah. Like, the Coyotes are awful. Um, I put Did together... Did he break some... up with his significant other or what? Like, I mean, I feel like all of the Coyotes got dumped at the same time. And then somebody shot their dog. <laughs> somebody. They are, they are the epitome of a country song right now. <laughs> Jesus. Plus their hearts, I guess. Yeah. Like, they're, they're just tumbleweed blowing in the wind type thing. Like, it's bad. But no, there was actually, um, I did a chart yesterday. I think it was yesterday or Tuesday. On um, XG again, you know, expected goals. And I was looking at XG against per 60 of the team versus team save percentage. And that way you could kind of see, like, okay, we're expecting to be letting in a lot of goals. And we are letting in a lot of goals. Or we're expected to let in few goals. And we are letting in few goals. And the Coyotes were expecting to be letting in a lot and lot of goals. But their save percentage was above average. Hmm. So that's all Mike Smith. That is Mike Smith doing work right there. I mean, is he just having a renaissance or like... Um, there's been some praise for some goalie coaching down there. And also just like... Uh, yeah, he's just having a better year than normal. Like, I mean, kind of like our goalies, right? Like, yeah. they're just having a better year than normal. True. Maybe he, uh, formed a prayer circle. Maybe. They could have. They could have indeed. Maybe they sacrificed a goat. <laughs> They've got goats down there, right? I'm pretty sure goats can survive anywhere. That's true. That's so true. I mean, <laughs> they can survive on the side of damn mountains. Like, exactly. they can survive in the fucking desert, I guess. Um... So, like, yeah, I would agree your, our need is on the left. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of desire from the nil camp to do a whole lot about it, given that we already are running 8D. Um, yeah, not unless we unload some D. Unless, yeah, I mean, if it's a one-for-one one swap, like if, if like we said, we give up Patrick Sharp and uh, Alexiak for Brian Campbell and Scott Darling and a second-round pick, then fine. Like, that's a one You hear that, Chicago? Give us a call! Uh, we'll carry three goalies. It's fine. It's fine. Um, we have eight defensemen. <laughs> We're good. Uh, then yes, the, then we'll do it, but I don't think, I don't think we're gonna go out and look for a second, another defenseman. Yeah. Type thing. Well, it doesn't really, wouldn't make, would I, I don't see that happening either. Alright. Last question. Andrew asks, question number two. What is softer than Jamie Ben? Clouds are right out doing due to the transitive property of softness. So, uh, according to Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan is softer than Jamie Ben. Um, so, what is softer than Tyler Sagan? Than Tyler Sagan. I mean, probably a kitten. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. I, like, I mean, I, I the end of a Q-tip. Like, I don't, like, I don't even know. Like a kitten. I'm going with a kitten. We might have to crowdsource this one. Dear t- dear, dear listeners, what is softer than Tyler Sagan? So I have this coat <laughs> that is a Jack Wolfskin coat that I purchased in Germany. Um, and it was in the ladies section. And I say that because it is um, not like it, they're, they're normal fleece jackets. But this one is like fleece plus 
in that it's got this like long not fur because it's not real fur but like long fibers on the outside that feel like what you would imagine elmo feels like they're just <laughs> so soft so like i feel like that coat might also be softer than tyler sagan but i also feel like that is actually a closer comparison than a kitten who would be softer than tyler sagan yeah i think like there's a scale there's a scale kittens are i feel like we it. should probably make a softness scale oh that sounds like a thing for deep heart hockey yeah yeah that's a that's a deep heart hockey project help us make our softness scale guys yeah that's your homework that's your homework and because we have to run that is all we have for you today yeah you're getting out early y'all <laughs> It's like Friday. It's like well, it's gonna well, be, gonna be posted on Friday. So yeah. There you go. Wouldn't you rather listen to this than the inauguration? <laughs> we know. We know the answer is yes. Yeah. Well, I'm um, listen to this instead of the inauguration. <laughs> my name's Carolyn. You can find me on Twitter at Classlicity. My name is Marin. You can find me on Twitter at Marinish. You can find our official Twitter at Deep Heart Hockey. And you can find our email at deepheartshockey at gmail.com. You can find our Tumblr at deepheartshockey.tumblr.com and our official blog at deepheartshockey.wordpress.com. Bye! Bye! Getting Thai food.